We're glad that you're here today. We know that there are some who are here for the very first time, and we want you to feel most welcome. As you can see, we're busy. This is probably the busiest time of the church calendar, uh, especially this week coming up. And we've got staff that have been working so hard on the church side, and I know that our school is uh, they're going to be out this week, Dr. Krauss, I think, throughout this week, and they've been working hard, and they just completed their I-STEP uh, tests and different things. And we've got work being done on the roof. We are finally getting our roof all the way from start to finish. Our roof is going to be repaired, everything. And so no more leaks, amen. And so we're really happy about that. And if you'll notice, they're still promising that our, our crosses area as you come into uh, the worship center uh, is hopefully to be planted with some beautiful, lovely um, plants and uh, tr ornamental trees, different things. We'll see what happens if the weather cooperates, but you can see they're making progress. So you drive on this campus, uh, there's lots of things going on. It's a very busy place, and we want you to know we're, we're thrilled to be serving you and uh, to be lifting up this wonderful Savior, Jesus Christ, at this special time of the year. Last week, uh, we'll, we'll continue in um, Philippians, um, but I'm going to read the, uh, certainly the story of uh, Christ's triumphal entry into Jerusalem, and we'll kind of weave these things together this morning. But uh, last week, we were talking about uh, something that Paul said is a tremendous uh, tool of the enemy to bring divisiveness in the life of any church, and it was something called selfishness, and Jesus was the opposite of selfishness, and so we talked about that. Last week we had a little fun, especially for those who are married, to say, now on your way home or sometime during the week, whatever, look at your, look at your spouse and say, honey, am I selfish? Am I selfish? Well, little did I know, that apparently caused some real discussion in some of the households. And uh, one gentleman said to me, I asked, uh, uh, I asked my wife if, if I'm selfish, and she answered immediately, yes. And I, I was afraid to ask him what he said uh, in response to that, but uh, it's already reached my ears that it was, it was a little testy there for a bit. And he said, what am I supposed to do with that? And I said, well, well okay, so I did some research. And here's the, here's the way to answer that question, am I selfish? And if the answer comes back, yes. You're selfish, or you have been selfish, whatever. So I want to get this right. So I'm actually going to read. I researched this. And so I want to read it and get it right. So those of you who got a yes, you're selfish, here's, here's how you're supposed to respond to that. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't realize that you're an, an expert on my life <laughs> and how I should live it. Please continue while I take copious notes. <laughs> You're not about to do that, are you? No, no, no. I don't blame you. Don't do that. That's a great question for a pro pro promoting discussion that may be sometimes challenging for us, but it's, it's one of those hard areas to talk about. Jesus talked about it, Paul talked about it, and Jesus set a good example. And so uh, we're going to talk about that a little bit. But today is really special. Today is so very special. It's special Lord's Day because Christians all over the world, not just the United States of America, but all over the world will be retracing the steps of Jesus as He made His way into Jerusalem for the Passover. And it would be the last time that Jesus celebrated a Passover before He died. 
And, you know, the folks that were greeting him as he came into the city thought Jesus was going to be this new, glorious leader who was going to throw off the bondage of Rome or anybody else that was giving the Jews a hard time with their lives. And so when he came into town that day, the place was packed. It was full of energy, kind of like the energy we felt as those kids were coming in, waving their palm branches and bringing their little 30 pieces of silver offering. And as they played the bells, just an excitement in the room. And so I want to read the account from Matthew. It's in other places But I want to read the account from Matthew of Jesus' entry into Jerusalem. But while I read it for you, I'm going to ask you to take a look at a map that we're going to place up there. And I want you to picture what it may have been like that day as Jesus was coming in. And so I'm reading from Matthew chapter 21, uh, verses 1 through 9. And then you take a look at the map. Hopefully we'll get that map. Is that going to be able to come up there okay, the map? they got to switch back and forth. Maybe it'll come up. There it is. So when they had approached Jerusalem and had come to Bethphage at the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied there and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord has need of them. And immediately he will send them. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to the daughter of Zion. The daughter of Zion, by the way, are the people living in Jerusalem. The daughter of Zion. Zion is another word for Jerusalem. Say to the people living in Jerusalem, Behold, your king is coming to you, gentle and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did just as Jesus had instructed them. And brought the donkey and the colt and laid their coats on them. Now it's interesting, laid their coats on them. Did you notice that? Now, if you read the Luke account, it doesn't say them, but in the Matthew account, it, it says them. So apparently, they laid their coats on the mama and on the uh, colt as well. Why would they do that? Well, they didn't know which one Jesus was going to ride. Amen? They didn't know. So they put, they put coats on both of them. And we're not told. Maybe Jesus rode, rode Mama for a little while, and then he got off and rode the colt. We, we don't know, but we know when he got to Jerusalem, he was riding the colt. We know that. And he sat on the coats. Some people have thought, and I'm breaking in here for just a moment, that, uh, you know, a colt is typically one that has not been uh, trained, has not been broken, so to speak. And for Jesus to get on a colt, that had been, not been broken or whatever, and yet allowed him to ride the colt, said maybe something about uh, the power of God to work in even a, a donk, little young donkey's life uh, to be able to be submissive to the master. Some have wondered if there was symbolism in that. I, I don't know. You can speculate. Verse 8, most of the crowd spread their coats in the road, and others were cutting branches from the trees and spreading them in the road. The crowds going ahead of him and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And that's the triumphal entry. Hosanna. Know what that means? It means save us, we pray. We think of Hosanna as being a term of praise, and it is. We say Hosanna, but it literally means Save us, we pray. Save us, we pray. Here comes this new king. Save us, we pray. Save us from Rome. 
Now today, uh, we might be standing as if we were in the crowd, we might be standing there in the crowd, and we might be singing out, Hosanna, save us, we pray, save us from a market crash, because things have been up for a little while, huh? Our portfolios have been improving a little bit. Uh, our, our retirement accounts have been going up a little bit. And the prognosticators are saying, watch out, there's going to be a crash, there's going to be a boom. So save us from a market crash where we lose our life savings or we're part of it. Or save us from a North Korean uh, missile attack. Save us, O King. Save us, we pray. Save us from ISIS. Save us. Save us from violence in our schools. Save us, we pray. Save us, we pray, from violence in our neighborhoods. Just go to Chicago and wonder what it's like living in some of those neighborhoods. Save us, we pray. Save us, we pray, O Lord, new king, new leader, from drug addiction that is taking over our people. Save us, we pray, from higher taxes and higher interest rates that make it hard for young people to get a home or to be able to get a loan, to get a car, or whatever the things that they may need. Save us, we pray. But hardly anyone is shouting, save us from our sins. We don't hear much of that anymore, do we? Save us from our sins. Billy Graham did his best as one man. To, he did his best to say it. We've talked about that and we've heard about it. He's gone to be with the Lord now. It seems to me that today it's up to the church to say it. It's up to Lakeview to say it to the world. It's up to the life-giving churches in this community and in this country and life-giving churches around the world where God has planted them to say, save us, we pray, from our sins. Save us, O King. Save us, O God. Save us, Jesus, from our sins. You know, one of the things the Church of Jesus Christ, I, I think, needs to pray about on this Palm Sunday 2018 is for a greater awareness of how disappointed God is when we sin. We need a greater awareness in our generation of how disappointed God is when we sin. Could we pray? Oh God, it just seems like there's such a dullness and coldness to how you must feel in your, in your heavenly, majestic place in heaven when you see your people sinning and breaking your heart and, and how disappointing that is to you, Father. And we would pray, just as one church joining many others, that you would break our hearts over sin and that it would matter to us individually about sin in our lives because it matters to you. It breaks your heart. And we pray for that this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. We can say to the world that sin separates us from God and that God has already told us what happens to sinners after this life is finished, but it's just like it just somehow goes right over our heads for some people. It's like it just doesn't, sin just doesn't seem to matter that much anymore. It's sort of like going to the doctor for a checkup. We've all been there. We've all done that. And the doctor says, hey, I got some sad news for you. I'm very, very sad to have to tell you, but you have a case, a terminal case of neurocacomysis. 
a terminal case of neurocochamysis. There is no known cure for neurocochamysis. And you have approximately, as near as we can tell, six months to live. And you walk out of the doctor's office and you say to yourself, what in the world is neurocochamysis? Some of you are trying to punch it into your little computers right now, and it's coming up like, what? Spell that. The doctor says, I'm dying because of it. But what is it? Well, you're probably asking yourself the same question because uh, I made it up at 5 o'clock this morning. (laughs) There is no such disease called neurocochamysis. And if there is, somebody needs to enlighten me because that just happens with my illustrations. Sometimes they kind of get messed up because who would have thought neurocochamysis is is a disease. But there is this thing called sin. That was a little phony up story. But there is something called sin, and we all suffer from it. And the Apostle Paul says, if we die in it, that God is done with us. If we die in that, God is done with us. Have you ever had anybody tell you that in a relationship? I'm done with you. I'm done. You are dead to me. I I am done. And sometimes that happens, and sometimes it lasts that way, and sometimes it doesn't, and sometimes reconciliation happens, but... God has told us in his word that if we die in our sin, God is done with us. The only hope for that situation, Paul says, is to have a Savior. All of the disciples of Jesus say that uh, God will accept Jesus Christ as our Savior because he's the only way to peace with God. And the only way we can have Jesus as our Savior from the sin we commit is to believe in Him and to live for Him until we die. Now, I'm telling you things that hopefully 99% of us already know, but somebody might not know that. And the only way we can have Jesus as our Savior is to commit to believe in Him and to live for Him until we die. He didn't say anything about being perfect. He didn't say anything about... Uh, What if I make a mistake or what if I stub my toe? It's not about that. It's about that in our heart, our heart is changed when Christ comes in. And we live the rest of our lives seeking to please Jesus. And God has promised us that he will not only forgive us when we do that, he will not be done with us. In fact, he's just getting started with us after this life is finished. And then he promises us eternal life with him forever, for however long eternity is. That's what we can count on if we put our faith and our trust in Jesus to deal with this sin thing, this (laughs) neurocochamysis. You know, that was made up, but sin's not made up. It's real. And, And it is terminal. And if we die in it, God's done with us. If we have a Savior, God's just getting started with us. And we might die from an attack by North Korea. We might die from an attack by ISIS. We might die from some problem with drug addiction. But we won't die when we face God on the other side if we have a Savior. Can I get an amen? Amen. We won't die on the other side if we have the Savior, Jesus. So the question is, do you have Jesus in your life? Do you have Jesus in your heart today? Do you know Him and are you serving Him as your Lord and Savior. So on this Palm Sunday, 2018, 
Jesus is not coming to a city to save them from physical enemies. He's coming to enter the hearts of the people who would believe in him and and receive him, to save them from the one thing that God absolutely hates, and that is sin. Do you know him? So, Father, if there are people here today and listening by Internet that don't know him, help them to have their, 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 the curiosity of their minds and their spirits pricked, that they would consider Jesus before it is too late. Amen. Now, a word for those of us who know Jesus, all right? So most of us in the room, I suspect, would know Jesus, and you've promised him that you would do your best to follow his teachings. So I want to read one of the most beautiful passages that the Bible offers us about Jesus. In fact, some Bible scholars have said what I'm about to read to you was probably a part of a hymn a long time ago, maybe some beautiful poem that was recited or sung to express faith in Jesus as God. And it just happens to be the next section that we're studying in Philippians. So we've read the story of the triumphal entry. We've understood why he came. He came to save us from our sin. And now we're going to those who already believe in Jesus and have put their faith in Jesus. And how does Jesus want us to live today? How can we get a little encouragement on on, on Palm Sunday 2018 for the believers in the crowd and for those who are wannabes who may be receiving Christ into their hearts very soon? And so I'm going to read from Philippians chapter 2 verses 4 through 8. And here's what Paul says to the Philippian church and to us today. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Now let me break there for just a moment. That's what the 30 pieces of silver love offering was for. Somebody says, well, whose idea was that? You know, every time you turn around, they're thinking up some way to give money for the the church to get more money or whatever. The church is not going to hold this money. The church is just, a, just a, a funnel for these resources to be going out to people who have needs and people that are hurting, whether it's through benevolence, whether it's through a life situation, where being a, a, a single parent or a, some, someone who's in a difficult circumstance in their life. He said, don't just look out for yourself, Lakeview Christians, for your own personal interest to be able to pay your bills on time, to be able to make your car payment if you have one, to be able to make your house payment or your rent if you have it, to be able to put food in your cupboards if you need it, and you will sooner or later. Don't just look out for your own personal interests, church, servants of Jesus Christ, but also for the interests of others. And then he says this, have this attitude in yourselves. So you see, it, it, for Christians, it is not just what we, what we show others in the sense of, of what we do with our physical life, but, but God is interested in what motivates us to do things. He, he's very much concerned about the attitude that drives our decisions. And so he says, have this attitude in you, which was also the attitude that Jesus had who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, 
Okay, now let's stop there for just a moment. Why is Jesus, gra- Jesus is grasping to be God? No, he's already God. Although he existed in the form of God, he was already, his form was God. But he did, he did not regard equality with God as something that was motivating him. It was not the attitude of his heart to want to be co-equal with God. Now, we can't say that about Lucifer. Lucifer had the exact opposite deal. Amen? He wanted to be like the Most High God, not Jesus. Jesus already was God. And even at that, his attitude was, that's not anything that's driving me. He said I, in verse 7, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant. In other words, his attitude was not, I'm already God. Everybody take notice of that. He said, no, no. Not only do I have the form of God, but I have the substance, the ethics of it, the attitude behind it, the thing that truly motivates me to do the things that I do. And, and how I am approaching other people is not that I am God because I have the form of God, but that I am seeing others as important, if not more important, than myself in the form of a bond servant and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in the appearance as a, as a man, in other words, my form looked like a human being, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So he didn't just look like a human being, but he did what all humans, human beings do when they're put on a cross. They die. So he was not just in form, but he was internally by virtue of his motivation and his attitude, he was dialed in at a completely different level. So, as I look at these four, five, six, seven, eight, five verses here, I see, I see at least four things that are popping up to me as I, as I studied and as I thought about that, this. Four themes, and you can jot them down and if, if you think they're worth uh, pondering this week, great. In verse 6, I see something that's really important, and the world hates this. Jesus is God. Would you say that with me? Jesus is God. So let me ask you this, pers- this, this, this question uh, and, and make it personal. How much does a person matter when God dies for them? How much does a person really matter when God dies for that person? Now, you young people, I want you to think about this long and hard and put it in your memory bank, and I'm sure you'll keep it for an hour or two. But you remember, Pastor Tim said this. If Jesus is God, and the Bible says that he is, Paul said that he is, I believe that he is. Most people in the room believe that he is. If Jesus is God and God died for somebody, how special would that person have to be to God? Can you imagine how special you are to God? Can you imagine 
how special you have been to God and you never really thought that much about it? Yes, you appreciated he died on the cross and all that, but you never really thought about, I'm that special? Me, the, on the talent scale, couldn't ring the bells with the best of these kids? Or couldn't write a book? Or couldn't sing a song on tune? Or couldn't teach a Bible study? Or couldn't lead anything because you felt too shy and too afraid and insecure? Me, who feels not, not pretty by the world's standards? Me, who feels a bit overweight or a lot overweight? Me, who doesn't have the flowing hair and the beautiful white teeth that are all lined up just perfectly? Not that great. Me? That special? That God would die for me? That, that's powerful. Verse 6 there. That, that's, that is worth pondering, if I may say so myself. Verse 7. Jesus has the character of a bondservant. So being a bondservant means a complete and utter devotion to God, His Word, and His will. Let me give that to, to you again. Because if you're taking notes, what does it mean? When you read bondservant, what's a good little tag for that so that we can understand? What do you mean by bondservant? We don't talk that way today. What are you talking about, bondservant? Bondservant means a complete and utter devotion to God, to His Word, and to His will. That's a bondservant in spiritual terms. Not just the appearance, but the real deal. Not just, remember I talked about fake marriage, <laughs> fake friendship, uh, fake membership in the life of the church. We can sign up, but we, it could be fake. We can, we can say the right things. We know what the right answers are for the quiz. We know how to pass the test. We have this, uh, you know, fake everything if we let it. No, this isn't fake. This is an utter devotion, a complete and utter devotion to God, His Word and His will. Not, not an appearance of such, but the real deal. That's what Jesus showed us. In verse 8, here's another one. We started verse 6 with Jesus is God. In verse 8, He says Jesus is man. Started out with Jesus is God. Then in verse 8, Jesus is man. Don't ask me to explain that. You can't explain it either. You can try, but that's a tough one. How can he be both God and man in the same person? Well, that's something for all of us to ponder, to, to trust, and to believe in because he said it. But the fact is, because he is a man, he was not spared the suffering and the agony of the cross. If he'd have just stayed God, we wouldn't have known. Say, well, God, God can get up on the cross and it didn't hurt. God can get up on the cross and he didn't bleed. God can get up on the cross and, and he didn't even have to die. Because God can do whatever he wants to do. He can work miracles, but not as a man. You know, he's a man, Paul said. And so he was not spared the indignity, the suffering, and the agony that the cross brought to his human body. That's important. And then the fourth thing that I see just popping up is that, verse 8, Jesus proves his humanity 
by his death on a cross. He was not spared the result of crucifixion, which is death. He was not spared that. And so he proved his humanity because he died. He was dead. You know, in his day, in Jesus' day, the word crucify or crucifixion was not tolerated. It was not to be spoken. It was, it was like a dirty word in that culture. It was like the four-letter words that sadly have become a part of normal conversation in our culture today. But there was a day when you didn't utter those four-letter words at school, certainly not at church, and not at home if you knew what was good for you, if you came from a good home. Amen? Well, the word crucify and crucifixion was the same way. It was, it was ugly, dirty, vulgar, nasty. Uh, only, the, only the dredges of society would be affected by that. Cheaters and liars and, and thieves and, and the like. So, do we believe that Jesus had some kind of death wish? You know, he had no reason to leave his throne in heaven except, that, except for one thing. It was his Father's will. That's why he showed utter devotion to his Father's will, to the Word of God, to the Father's will. He, he had no death wish. He had no desire to do that. Certainly not in his flesh. You see, the life of Jesus is characterized by a humility that obeyed his Father to the point of death. And because his life had no sin in it, now catch this, because Jesus' life had no sin in it, and because he was obedient to die on behalf of others who did deserve to die, I'm one of them, God has accepted his death as payment in full. And so we can resonate with the songwriter Chris Tomlin when he wrote these beautiful words, a part of the chorus of one of these songs, Amazing Love. How can it be that you, my king, would die for me? Amazing love. I know it's true. It's my joy to honor you. In all I do, I honor you. Let me give you this little phrase that the Lord gave to me and see if it makes sense to you. Maybe you want to jot it down. He, Jesus, became like me, human, a man. He became like me so that in him I might become like him. Can I say that again? He became like me so that in him I might become like him. Because coming out of the womb, I'm not like him. We talked about about that a few weeks ago. Born into a broken world and born with hearts that are broken because we have hearts because of brokenness and sin that are attracted to evil. We We are just attracted to evil all of our lives. And some of us do better than others. And with God's help, we can do better than we ever did. But we're to be like him. So how am I to be like Jesus? Now, I'm going to wind this down with this thought. How can we on Palm Sunday 2018 be more like Jesus? Challenge ourselves on this very special Sunday that's like a lot of Palm Sundays that we've experienced if you've been a Christian for very many years. 
how can I be more like Jesus? And I've got two ways based on this passage that we just read. Number one, I, you and I, we can be more like Jesus when we examine his character. And I'm going to talk about that in just a moment. I can be more like Jesus when I know what his character was like and I try to emulate that. And the second thing is, I can be more like Jesus when I take a look at the whole aspect of his being in human form, like me, a man or woman. And I want to explain that to you in just a moment. Two things, character and the flesh, to be like Jesus. Number one, we imitate his character. Let me tell you how and why. 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, be imitators of me, Paul says, just as I also am of Christ. So I can take the challenge to understand about Jesus' character and do my best to imitate it because Paul's imitating it. And we're to imitate Paul, who is imitating Christ in this passage. Here's another one. 1 John 2, 6. The one who says he abides in him, Jesus, ought himself to walk in the same manner as he walked. So when I said he became like me, a man, so that in him I might become like him. The one who says he abides in Jesus, if you say you're saved this morning, if you say that you're forgiven of your sin because you have a Savior and you've put your faith and trust in Jesus and invited him into your heart, then we are to abide in him. We are to walk in the same manner as he walked. Ephesians 5, 1 and 2, listen to this. Therefore, be imitators of God. Is Jesus God? Yes. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love, just as Christ also loved you, and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. So what I, when I look at Jesus' life and I look at how he responded to the Father's will, I see humility and obedience. Humility in that he didn't, he didn't say, no, Father, I want to stay up there with you. I don't want to have to come down here and deal with all this. No, he, did, he didn't do that. He was humble. He took the humble road. He took the, he, took, he, took the, he took the hard path because of his love for us. He was, there was humility that drove his spirit. That, that's why we have to have a conversation with our spouse about, am I selfish? Because when we're selfish, we're not taking the humble role. We're saying something very different from that. And then there is this character issue called obedience to God's will. That was the character of Christ. Humility and obedience. It manifested itself by his loving service to others and his willingness to sacrifice his own desires to serve the desires of his Father. That's our mandate on Palm Sunday. So look around the church. Look around the city. Look around the world. Where can we offer loving service through sacrifice in order to imitate the character of Christ. Our, our missions leaders, our commission on missions, are, are praying about 
another, another missions venture. And I don't want to say more than I should say because they're, they're still formulating this, but to a, a city, a great city, a large city, where there can be prayer walks and ministering to the homeless and, and being an encouragement to believers who are located and assigned to that city to stand up for the character of Christ and to be humble and to be obedient. You know, we're looking for these kinds of things. We're looking for ways that we can reach into the, the city police department. We're looking for ways that we can invest in the sheriff's department. We're looking for ways that we can invest with the plan, uh, our crisis pregnancy uh, uh, ministries and, and various things that are going on in our community. Look and see where there's need. Meet the needs of hurting people. Look around. Somebody been in the hospital recently? When the, when's the last time you thought to call in the church and say, wonder if they could use a meal? Wonder if they could use some kind of, you know, whatever kind of surgery they had. Who knows how long they're going to be out and they need help or they need a ride somewhere or someone's going through a difficult time. Just look around. There's tremendous need. And Jesus said, serve others as though others are more important than yourself. And oh, by the way, when you come into the church house, don't be selfish. Be kind. Be gracious to one another. Do not gossip. Do not slander. Do, do not do the things the world does when it gets agitated because we are drawn to sin. We're attracted to sin. And, and, and Jesus is saying, push back on that. I'll help you. Push back on that. Now, the second thing, and I'll close with this one. We will imitate his body. Which the first one was about his character. The second one was about his body, his physical body. We will imitate not only his character, but we're going to imitate his body. But that's going to happen tomorrow or in the future. So what are you talking about? I'm talking about if you, if you belong to Jesus, if you're saved from your sins, if you have a Savior, and whenever you and I cross over from this life into the next life and we stand before God... And God looks at us and, and He doesn't see our sin anymore. What He sees is the Savior who paid our debt in full. And He says, well done, good and faithful servant. Come on in. You know, and, and He says, I'm not done with you. I'm just getting started with you. Then we're going to get a chance to imitate Jesus' body. Now let me read three scriptures for you. Philippians 3.20 and 21. For our citizenship... Believers, for people who have received Jesus, you say, well, I don't know if that's that important or not. Well, yes, it is. The Bible, Paul says it's important to understand that Christian citizenship is not Grant County. It is not the city of Marion, if that's where you live, or wherever you live, whatever burg you live. Our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will, get this, transform the body. Jesus will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of His glory by the exertion of the power that He has even to subject all things to Himself. So there's going to be some kind of a body change that we're going to experience who belong to Jesus, but it'll be happening in the future. Here's another one, 1 Corinthians 15, 49. Just as we have borne the image of the earthly, we will also bear the image of the heavenly. Here's another one, 1 John 3, 2. Listen, 
Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet appeared what we will be. We know that when he appears, we will be like Jesus. Because we will see him just as he is. So our old bodies are somehow, and don't ask me to explain it, because the Bible doesn't explain it. There's a whole bunch of stuff that, uh, you know, we need explaining. And we want it really bad. Because that's how we're wired. And, you know, you can't wait to get on the internet and find that neurococcomysis disease. You know, we just want to know the facts, and we want to know it now. And I want, I want to know before I leave here if I might have neurococcomysis. You don't. Our old bodies are somehow, some way, going to be converted into a new heavenly body. And as near as I can tell, and as I've studied and read, and some of you have read and studied too, is that we believe that we're going to maintain some semblance of this body we have, and we will be, it will be joined with some heavenly expression, and somehow the two are going to be something unique and special. And that is yet to come. And in our flesh then, not just in our character, but in our flesh, we will become like him. Amen? Isn't that exciting to think about that? That's, that's phenomenal. Every follower of Jesus has a place and a purpose, just as Jesus did. Jesus, you saw the map, made his way into Jerusalem toward the temple for the Passover. He had a, he had a place to go and he had a purpose to do. And every follower of Jesus Christ, everyone in the sound of my voice who loves and knows Jesus has a place and a purpose it does not matter the age. It does not matter the talent scale. It does not matter the personality. It does not matter the size. It does not matter the voice. It does not matter the intellect. We have a place and a purpose. And our lives are ticking away second by second. Our lives are ticking away second by second. May we be imitators of Christ through humble obedience to his example of serving others and obedience to his Father's will. And may I suggest that the church, the local church, is the right and best place to work out our humble obedience to Christ. Our neighborhood's a good place. Where we work is a good place. Other places that you attend throughout the course of a week or a year may be a good place. But the best place to work out our purpose is through the local church. Because the local church has these multitudes of opportunities. You may think, oh, that's nice, they're having an Easter egg hunt. Oh, that's nice, they're going to serve a meal to people. Oh, okay, wonder who's going to serve that meal. Who's going to serve it? Who's going to put all the eggs together with the little candy inside it? I think some 3,000, I think. She's, she was at 1,200 the last time I checked. She's still got half a way to go. Why do we want the kids to come and get an egg? 
I don't care about the eggs. You care about the eggs? I don't care about the eggs and the candy. I don't really care about that. I want them to come to the campus here. I want them to get on this campus. And I want them to see the love of Jesus. I want them to feel that they matter to God. I want their bellies to get filled. I want their kids to have fun. And I want Dr. Krause to have an opportunity to share something about Jesus Christ to that crowd that comes in on Saturday that can be a blessing to our ministry. So think about it. Think about Saturday. Think about what you might be able to do, even if you can only come for a little while. Think about it. Jesus entered Jerusalem on purpose. And his purpose was to be obedient to his Father's will by demonstrating humility. So God, help us to keep humility at the forefront of everything we say and we do. And help us, Father, to read and study your word, to never grow weary of it, to never grow tired of it, and to do our very, very best to be obedient to it. Even, even when it runs against the grain of how we feel, even when it runs against the grain of what we think about sexually, even though it runs against the grain of what we feel sometimes in terms of trying to make it in this world and somebody else seems like they've got an, a, a silver spoon and, and you got the, we got the hard plan, that we will just stay focused upon you and your will and that we will be obedient, knowing that when we cross over, you're just getting started with us and everything's going to be okay. Father, I pray that if there are those in the sound of my voice and listening by internet that have not yet said yes to believing in Jesus as God, I know it makes the world mad, makes them angry, it may, it, and we get accused of being arrogant. And who do we think we are having the only pathway to God as Christians? But Lord, that's what you gave us in your word. That's what Paul taught us. It's what Peter said. It's what the disciples said, and they were with you. And by faith, we receive that, and we trust in it. And we're putting our hope and our confidence in Jesus. And now, teach us to be humble in our serve. And teach us to be aware of others' needs. And forgive us where we've been selfish and had that big S on the throne, self on the throne. God forbid, help us to be people who are poured out, just like Jesus was poured out. Save us from our sins. Help people to truly know Jesus before it's too late. And help us to be mature and grown-up believers who seek after the character of Christ as our model. And we'll give you praise and thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand? We're going to leave. It's like nine minutes till 12. It's a pretty good deal. Amen? Pretty good. And you go out and get a nice meal. But don't run out of the church before you greet a few folks here. There are some here are here for the very first time. And don't forget, there are some people that may be hurting. There may be some people that may be discouraged. And take a moment to utter a prayer with them or to offer a kindness later on this week as a way of emulating Christ. This is going to be a great week. Please come out for Monday Thursday. 
That's when Jesus washed the disciples' feet. It's when they celebrated that Lord's Supper. It's a beautiful time. And we've got some special things planned for you. The Good Friday service is a great day when Jesus paid the debt for all of our sins. Amen? And we come and honor Him on Friday. Saturday is going to be a fun day. Pray for Dr. Krause as he puts some words together for, for these people that come. and Bless these kids and the parents and different ones. And we can feast and feed the people of this area. And then to have a great and glorious morning with all the different participants who are working hard to be able to lift up the name of Jesus for a great Easter celebration. God bless you. Heavenly Father, protect us now as we go our way and help us to be excited to be in your army. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Have a great day in the Lord.